0: Welcome to Game of Books podcast. I'm Kathy in South Dakota. And I'm Christy in South Florida. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and mystery through interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors. And our virtual book club. And even our fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us on today's adventure. Welcome to
1: our Words in Progress series where we get a mini lesson on writing from experts in the field. And here to teach us is Stephen James, who, Kathy, you were lucky enough to work with at Thriller Fest this year.
0: Yeah, lucky is right. Stephen James is uh, the critically acclaimed author of 17 novels. And I just actually was pulling off my stack. This is my most recent read, which is... Ah, every- Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't read at night. (laughs) Just (laughs) Um, He is also the contributing editor to writer's digest magazine and is the author of the groundbreaking book story, Trump's structure, which I'm going to show to anybody who's watching us on YouTube. Um, You can see I've got my, I've got pages marked all over in this thing. Um, And he also has written Troubleshooting Your Novel, which, again, I have lots of (laughs) markings in. Highly recommend both of them, by the way. Um, Publishers Weekly calls Stephen a master storyteller at the peak of his game. When he's not working on his next novel, he teaches novel writing intensive retreats across the country with New York Times bestselling author Robert Dagoni. Um, his latest book is a near-future sci-fi thriller called Synapse. And Stephen, it's so great to see you again, and thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me here. It's, um, it's fun to do an interview outside whenever we were trying to figure out the best place. You're like, try the porch. So you can see our treehouse back in the background there. It's like swinging bridge to a platform that I built up for my kiddos. Back in the day. So, um, so if it gets too cold out here, though, it's winter, it's winter but,
0: uh, but anyway, if all of a sudden you start, start talking
1: like this, then we'll know, know that it's right? too cold.
0: <laughs> so um, as Chrissy mentioned last summer, I was lucky enough to have you as my teacher at um, Master Class, which is a part of Thriller Fest.
2: Uh, yeah, I remember having you. It was fun. It was a good time.
0: It was, and it was, it was, it was strange because we did it via Zoom, and, and traditionally you can do it in person, but we all yeah. did it via Zoom together. And but one of the, when Chrissy and I started wanting to do these um, little mini classes on our podcast, you're, you were the, one of the first people I thought of because one of the sessions that we had, we, you, did, you broke us out in a bunch of sessions, was talking about status and how it relates to character. And I'd never heard of that before. And I thought it was so interesting. And as a matter of fact, it's in this book, Story Trump Structure, Chapter 21. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really, I thought it was such an interesting concept in in a nutshell, I guess. Um, You suggest that in order for us to create unforgettable characters, writers, we need to consider their status. And so I'm wondering if you can start by explaining to our listeners and viewers, what do you mean by status?
2: Yeah, no, it's a good question. And um, it's something that really isn't taught very much to writers, people in improv comedy, sometimes deal with status as they're trying to uh, flip status for comedic moments and stuff like that. But basically status is the amount of dominance or, or prominence, whichever you want to say or a submission within a specific social encounter. So there are different types of status that I've come up with and identified. One would be situational status. So that would be, let's say that you're uh, writing a scene and your character comes to um, a dark alley and actually uh, is surrounded by four people with clubs and, and um, baseball bats and so on. They would be in a place of low situational status. The odds are stacked against them. So I think that makes pretty much sense. Also there's relational status. So, like with my wife we have an even uh equal status relationship with my daughter since I'm their father i have a kind of a higher relational status then um there's also what i call uh positional status and this would be where your boss or in society you might be in a certain position uh where your boss has a higher positional status than you okay so all of those are really sort of beyond our control situation we're in relationships and and position but what is within our control is how we respond. And so we can actually flip the tables in a sense so that even though we're in a low situational status, we can by our choice and action then flip the tables so that we have higher what I call substantive status, which is what matters most in a scene. is isn't so much where you start from, but where you take things from there. So for instance, if the character in your scene looks around at the people surrounding him in the in the, in the dark alley or whatever, and he says, uh, "All right, the first one of you to come forward loses, you know, consciousness. The second guy never wakes up again. Let's see who wants to come forward, or whatever." Reader's like, "Oh, okay, that's pretty interesting. This guy's like a real badass, or whatever." So, um, uh, or you know, there's uh, relationally, uh, you could have a character who has a lower relational status, but then actually flips the tables again. So in my uh, series that you're reading, like Every Wicked Man that you you held up a minute ago, there's an FBI agent named Patrick Bowers whose uh, daughter is a teenager, and he's always trying to get her to eat um, cheeseburgers. She's a vegetarian. She's vegan. And so in one scene, he says to her, if God didn't want us to eat cows, he wouldn't have covered them with meat. He He covered you with meat. He's like, ah, What do I say? Like, how do I? I don't know what to say. That. So, like, she flips the tables, ends up with higher substantive status, even though he has a relationally he has more authority than she does. And so, same thing can happen with a boss and employee when you refuse to be intimidated and so on. So, so we have these levels. Now, in real life, we have all sorts of different types of status in in real life relationships and. Uh, in our work, you know with our boss and with coworkers and with those underneath us, and also in different situations when we have higher and lower status. and so to create multi dimensional characters, one of my perspectives is that you create a character with multivariate status not, so that he's not always in high status or low status. Um, if a character is always angry with everyone, with his wife, with his kids, with his boss, with his cohort, whatever, he always is this one response he becomes an interesting cardboard character, one-dimensional. And so I'm always looking for ways to create a character who has different types of status in different situations. So with Patrick Bowers, for instance, when he's at a crime scene or he's at a, um, well, let's just say a crime scene, he will never back down, he will never give up, he will never give in, and he will have he will step up to the plate, even though he has lower situational status maybe than the bad guy, by his choice, he'll he will end up with higher substantive status at the end of the scenes. But when he's with women, he doesn't always know what to say. And when he's with his daughter, he's pretty clueless. He loves her, but doesn't know how to express that, always in the best way. And so, because of that, those different variables regarding his status, he becomes a character that seems real to people. they are like, I really, you know, this—I can picture this guy or or whatever to identify with him because he is, in a sense, mirroring the way that that all of us have status relationships.
1: Yeah. That, that's so interesting. And um, it it totally makes sense, but I'm thinking, okay, so do you have um, some ways that we as writers can, can show the status? Is there tricks or?
2: Yeah. You know, you can show status in real life through all sorts of the way that you stand, your body position affects the the amount of status that you appear to have in a certain scene and so on. And so when we're writing, one of the keys is actually verb choices. The verbs that you choose can really affect the status that a character has. So for instance, if you have a character and he crosses the room and you say he strutted across the room, well, strutting shows the need for attention. So by strutting, you're actually doing what to your status? What do you think? You're actually lowering it because you're showing a neediness there. Or if, um, if she stomped across the room, it shows lack of self-control. And so it actually, again, would lower their status. But if you said she strode across the room or uh, something to, in, in, in that regard, it shows that she's walking confidently across the room, actually raises her status. So, so that, yes, even the verb choice that we use affects status. The other things that you can do to balance status out with your characters is add stillness. If there's only a couple of things people really remember about status, one would be this, that stillness is power, that pauses elevates status. Okay, so that's one. Also, um, neediness actually diminishes status. So some people, in order to make their villain more frightening, they think, well, if I make him sadistic, then he'll be more scary. So they make his pleasure dependent upon someone else's pain. By doing that, they actually make him needy. And what do you think they do to his status? Actually, right, exactly. So to create um, a bad guy or villain that's more frightening, you don't show how needy he is, but how he isn't needy. He isn't required to see someone else's pain to have satisfaction. So he's cold hearted. He's calculating. um, the other thing is to, um, is to show self-sacrifice. So if you can have a character turn the other cheek or sacrifice for the good of others when no one would notice, it'll actually raise elevate his status. So by understanding pauses, stillness, self-control, self-restraint, um, all of these issues can really help us as authors to manage the status of characters within our scenes.
1: So we almost have to be therapists, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and a lot
2: of us, we know this stuff instinctively. Uh, I mean, whatever I teach on status and I'll say something like, okay, self-control, Who, someone with high self-control, would you say have that higher or lower status? And everyone will agree, well, higher status. And if I say so, someone is self-congratulatory, like they're patting themselves on the back, we can kind of guess they're probably going to end up diminishing their status because they're so so like see how how brilliant I am, and my plan is amazing right. so, so so a lot of it is under is putting a name to what we instinctively kind of notice in our relationships with others, um, mm-hmm. but then being very cognizant of it, yes, in every um, in every scene that we that we cast
1: right i mean i I, I thought that was interesting how when you were saying like strutting versus striding versus using the different verbs, because honestly, you, I don't always think of that when I'm using the verbs. I mean, yeah. do you have a list that you just say, okay, these are the um, <laughs> high status and low status verbs, and I'm going to grab one from this, or it's just practice, 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 I guess. I don't know that
2: I have a list, but I do you really- should make one. <laughs> <laughs> I do really think through actually um, in every scene whenever I'm choosing verbs. Most people have been taught use vivid verbs, use strong verbs in your writing. And that's not bad advice. It's good advice as long as it's taken into consideration with other factors, one of those being status. And so, you know, I could say, well, I'm trying to write about how she walked across the room and I could say she sashayed across the room. And that shows kind of an attitude, which can be interesting. But you just want to make sure that you're not undermining your character by um, showing lack of control and lack of restraint or anger, all of these kind of things that undermine status. Another thing would be, you know, with the, relating to self-control, if you have a hero who's being tortured by the bad guys, he's been captured by the villain and he's being tortured and he whines, pleads, begs, shouts, cries out, screams for help all of those verbs do what to his status? Actually, diminish it, right. Yeah, exactly. And so if you want to raise his status, he still will respond in some way, but you would show his self-restraint of holding back so that if we were in the character's point of view or, or if we were writing about it, we might say he refused to cry out and give them the satisfaction of knowing how much they were hurting him. Mm-hmm. By just writing something like that, readers immediately see that the status has been flipped, and our character, because of his self control is actually has higher substantive status, even though he 's in a situation of low situation situational mm-hmm. status. Another interesting thought real quick, just as long as I mentioned low situational yeah. status is you know when your character is at the climax, the climactic moment is the one moment in the story where he'll be at the lowest situational status of the entire story. So if you're telling your story and you realize, okay, in scene three, he faces down five bad guys and cry chops them or whatever, but then at the climax, there's two that he faces. You've actually... Written it in the wrong order, right? Because it doesn't escalate in the amount of uh, status that's faced against him, but it actually de-escalates in the tension because he's only facing the two guys instead of <laughs> five. So you'd reverse the the scenes. So it's it's helpful, I think, to understand. You know, when we look at our story, we're constructing our story to understand that at the moment of the climax or the dark moment right before the climax. That's where he'll have the lowest or she'll have the lowest situational status of the, of the entire
0: story. So you're s- saying, is it all characters or just your protagonists? Do they have, I mean, they have to have changing status throughout then to show their arc and their progress?
2: Well, there are different views among story theorists. Some story theorists believe that stories are there to change characters, like you referred to with the character arc. Uh, some other story theorists believe that stories are there to reveal characters, that they're not there to change them at all, but they're there to reveal what the characters genuinely like. And others believe that stories are there to test characters, which is close to reveal in my my mind. So without getting into the too much of the nuances of the differences, I think that a lot of people start with the idea that my character has to change. So because I want him to be nice at the end, he needs to be, undesirable or something at the beginning right (laughs) and what happens then is people create unlikable uh main characters unlikable protagonists that that are whiny or that complain all the time or that look down on people they're judgy or sarcastic or whatever and so when i read their work of aspiring authors i say why did you make this person so unlikable
0: <laughs> right. I'm like
2: well because he's gonna have a character arc he's gonna change at the end so i think in those cases it's very helpful to step back from that paradigm and say okay instead of trying to change my character necessarily and we could talk more about that maybe in another podcast but
0: Mm -hmm.
2: but I want to show what my character is really like because your character has to be someone that readers will want to spend time with and so I think yes you will definitely manage status within the story and in some cases you'll purposely give them lower situational or positional status or relational status but I suggest don't give them have them make a choice that ends up lowering their substantive status beneath that of the villain. So in other words, like, whenever the character's being tortured and so on, if he pleads and begs and whines for help, actually all of those responses are lowering his status. So, so I would suggest you probably don't want to do that. Um, will make like the
1: that. reader mad. Because we don't want our hero to be low status for sure, right? Yeah, and, you know, <laughs> the
2: other thing is interesting is like, if you create an underdog character, even if it's the villain, people will feel connected with the um, underdog. So for instance, at the climax of your story, let's say that you have your hero and two other detectives or something facing down with the bad guy. People are going to think, that's not fair. There's three against one or four against one or whatever. It's like, even though he's the villain, we feel like, come on, they're stacked against him because (laughs) we see that his situation creates that underdog mentality. And so you'll look for a way to underdog your protagonist, but not, the bad guy, not the antagonist, at the climax.
0: So interesting to, I mean, I almost am picturing that I need to go back in my work work in progress and, and map out status throughout and see where I'm at right now, because I'm sure I need to make a lot of changes.
2: I truthfully find that when I'm working on my books and I'm rereading them or editing or whatever the stage in the process you call it or whatever, relooking at my stories, that status becomes one of those issues that I feel is vital to characterization, especially not undermining the status of your protagonist, of your main character. And so, um, so he can certainly be in places where the odds are stacked against him. Let's say that you're writing about a sixth grade boy. Um, and so you know, you're trying to show that he is being made fun of or, or, or something along those lines. Well, you're like, how do I manage the status of a kid in this situation? Well, I would simply have him stand up for the oppressed. He might be made fun of, but he doesn't care about that. What he cares about is helping this other kid who's been bullied, making sure that that kid feels like he has a friend or whatever, something along those lines. Because then what we see is this character, even though he might, if he stands up for the oppressed in a certain way, then we're immediately on his side. But if all he is is bullied, and then goes home to complain to his parents that he was bullied or whatever, we're not going to be necessarily on his side.
0: Interesting. Really interesting. I um, I'm 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 replaying some scenes in my book that I think I've really. <laughs> Oh,
1: you're so critical day. on yourself. No, I do. I disagree. I'm sure it's not as bad as you think. Um, and we and we we have touched on because one of the questions we had was um, between the protagonist and the villain, and you've kind of pretty much touched on that. That um, so I think what you're saying too is at the climax, the protagonist is showing their lowest point, but it switches. And that's where then we see the villain goes down, you know, it, and that's what gives us the satisfaction. And that would be all status right there, right? Yeah, and it,
2: typically the, the character who's your hero character, the main character, the protagonist, however you refer to it, typically he will, through wit or grit, flip the tables on the bad guy. So wit would be through cleverness or grit through perseverance. Now there are other things that can happen. Of course, not every story is exactly the same, but, but as I'm working on my stories, I often ask myself, okay, if this character is in this terrible situation, how can he get out of it through cleverness or through perseverance to flip the tables on the, um, on the, the antagonist like you mentioned? The other thing that's interesting uh, to work with the, um, the bad guy, the antagonist, is to slow him down. That will make it more frightening. You ever see these um, scary movies where the, the killer is in the, the house and the young, the young woman has been chased <laughs> and so on. She runs outside. She starts sprinting toward the forest and she's running, looking back to see if he's coming. He steps out of the house kind of looks around like this and begins to walk toward the forest, right? And all of a sudden she's sprinting, right? And running and running a quarter mile of away. She trips and falls down, looks up. There he is in front of her. How did he get there? I have no idea. He was walking, <laughs> he was sprinting. But if the movie uh, director the, had shown him running out of the house, what would they have done to his status? That would
0: have lowered his status. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, by by slowing him down, it creates a more frightening and imposing bad guy. He knows though- his
0: confidence; like he knows he'll get her no matter yeah. what. Oh, yeah,
2: man. yeah.
0: And so, somehow,
2: he gets in front of her. I don't know how, but it always <laughs> <works>. the, <laughs> the <laughs> magic herself. of business. like at that speed. How did he make it a mile into the woods? But
0: <laughs> you know, when you and Chris were talking about the um, protagonists and antagonists at the back uh, end of. Uh, after the climax, I, I was thinking about we just happened to watch as a family um, Silence of the Lambs recently oh, yeah. <laughs> right And we're Clary's in the movie at least not'll we'll just with the movie because um, but you know, Clary starling, you know, shes at a graduation and um and but Hannah Lecter Kind of has high status at the end. I mean, he has high yeah. status at the end because he's going to go have a final meal of yeah. the guy who's been bothering him. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to elevate him at the end of that. Well, I mean, there, you know, he ends up
2: sort of playing a mentor character in that book. I mean, in, a certain, in the story, in a certain way, he's a mentor yeah. to, um, to uh, you know, Clary Starling. And he is a character of very high status, like he's very self-controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, he always, you know, is kind of one step ahead of you, and where he's thinking and planning and so on. He's, he's one step ahead. Now he's in a place of very low situational status. Remember the scene where, like, he's like in a straitjacket yeah. and muffled and standing there or whatever. But, but he still finds a way to undermine and 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 kind of frighten people. So, and I so, yeah, believe so- that
1: he's he. You don't ever get the sense. I mean, you get like a little creeped but you don't get the sense that she's in danger from him so he's not necessarily her story's bad guy um so maybe you know and he's going to go on and do another book maybe or something so so we're not going to get rid of him completely
0: (laughs) interesting yeah okay so i now i'm i'm ready to get to work so can you suggest exercises for us to kind of work out this status thing if if um, our listeners and our, our viewers and us, and us want to, want to this whole concept, this conversation about status, get our brains working.
2: Yeah, in this actually way. something that's, that's kind of fun to do uh, is, okay, so let's say that you're at a hotel and there's something wrong with your room. Okay, so you go to the front desk. And if you're very, if you stomp up there very angrily and a very high status kind of a thing, they might feel like defensive and not give you what you want. Or if you come in too low status, you know, you're like, there's something wrong with my room, but really you don't need to do anything. It's just that there's a rat in the toilet, but I don't. (laughs) I don't want to bother anyone here or whatever then. Okay, so so instead what's very interesting is to mirror the status of the person that you're negotiating with. Um, and so what you want to do is not necessarily do exactly what they do. Like if they fold their arms, you don't need to necessarily fold your arms in the exact same way. But what you want to do is find a way through body position, through your pauses, the way that you speak. All of these things can be used to sort of match the status. And so the best negotiating stance is to mirror the status of the person that you're negotiating with. So it can be kind of fun to just mess with people too. Like if you're ordering, you know, a burger at Burger King or whatever, kind of say, I'm going to play this high status and walk in or, you know, or very low status and just see how people respond. So Um, it's not so much a writing activity, but it certainly is informative and it can be lots of fun just to mess with people. Once you understand sort of the dynamics of stillness, pauses, inflection, body language, all of these things, how they relate to status. And, um, so yeah, it can be kind of, and it's, I I gotta say, it
1: would be pretty interesting during these COVID times too, because you're not going to see half their face. So now you got to really do the body and that's a good point,
2: too, you know. Um, uh, Larry Kirschbaum, who was in one of my master classes, I think it was with you. Um, yeah, he was. Yeah, C- Kathy. He had said that um, John Wayne once said, speak low and speak slow. Uh, that's pretty interesting because that's kind of like a high-status way of, you know, slowing right. it down,
0: yeah.
2: low, low you're not, incon- you're not hyper and, you know, active and control so. so. I, know. I
1: was just thinking, I I, got, I went to the drugstore earlier today, and I was thinking, how could I have used my status there? <laughs> there, was a, there was somebody not wearing a mask, and I wanted to tell mm. them to wear it, but I was like, mm. I could have mimicked them, and they probably would have accepted it. Who knows? Now I know. Wow. Christy, you can try it again. <laughs>
0: Well, Stephen, we've had such a great time talking to you. It's been very, very interesting and educational. Um, yes. And nice to see you again.
2: That's great to see you, and I appreciate the chance to be on your show.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. Thank you so much. And um, it's going to be helpful to all our listeners out there, too. So that's, that's uh, something that we're aiming for. So thank you for
0: that. Um, and we're sorry for all of the drive through employees who have to <laughs> endure our exercises now. Yeah, <laughs> so Even if our listeners and they will want to reach out to you or get more information about your fiction series or your nonfiction about writing, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well,
2: the website, stevenjames.net, Stephen with a V has everything. Stephen James there. Uh, Read Stephen James is my Twitter and Instagram and so on. Uh, Facebook. Um, you know, thing, And if any of them are ever interested in our Novel Intensive seminars, you can go to NovelWritingIntensive.com, and we're actually um, going to be virtual in March and in person in the fall. So there are still a few openings for that. It's limited to just 14 people, so it's a real small-knit group. But, um, but anyway, people can get more information about that uh, at the website, NovelWritingIntensive.com.
1: Oh, that sounds great. Well, thanks again. And, um, to all our listeners out there, um, we'll have all those links that he just mentioned and anything that we mentioned today on our website, game of And, um, we hope everybody has fun mirroring out there.
0: <laughs> That's hard to say mirroring. Wow. Mirroring. Yeah. Well, and thank you. Yeah. Thanks. We'll say cheers with our cheers
2: with our happy holidays to everyone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You yes. too. Now go climb that tree house. <laughs> thanks for joining us on today's adventure subscribe to our podcast
1: on our website game of books or wherever you listen to podcasts
0: and if you liked what you heard you can give us a five-star rating or review you can also subscribe on youtube where you can watch and listen
1: On gameofbookspodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter or enter our fun
0: contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers. Cheers.